This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, midweek Wednesday afternoon, September 6th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The parent company of Chicago-headquartered Wilson Sporting Goods is going public. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the NFL season gets underway tomorrow under a changing broadcast and streaming landscape. There's also a cable TV dispute that could be a sign of things to come. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park Business line reminding you to bring your business home is Tom Layson, Seattle-based media analyst. Find him on Twitter. I guess we should call it X now. At Tom Layson. Tom, thank you for joining us today. It seems like the broadcast and cable bundle, that uh, that economic model that we've all been used to for the past 25 to 30 years, is unraveling faster than anybody thought. Absolutely. It's an existential battle right now for the pay TV cable bundle. And this discussion is going to roll over into the NFL. And I think football may be one of the linchpins by which both the NFL and the media companies accomplish their goal, which is basically, to use a football analogy here, to do a handoff from the traditional broadcast outlets to streaming services without losing too many viewers to try to maintain the reach. For the NFL, it's all about that reach. Um, making this transition from the traditional TV ecosystem um, over to streaming, that's, there's going to be some leakage. That you're going to see this transition over time. I mean, uh, Sunday Night Football, the first game is going to be Chiefs-Lions. NBC um, is going to be broadcasting that um, and co-streaming it on Peacock. But later in the season, they're going to be offering a game in December and a wild-card playoff game exclusively on Peacock. So we're going to see more of that um, with Disney, Amazon offering the Black Friday game exclusively, uh, Jets Dolphins on Prime, Sunday Ticket is now off DirecTV and on YouTube. So this transition's underway. We're talking to Seattle-based media analyst Tom Layson. So as, as NFL, as, as pro football migrates off of broadcast and cable TV over to streaming, and it sounds like it's a slow transition that's picking up speed, once that happens completely, it's almost game over for broadcast television, right? At least on the large aggregated live event platforms. Um, it's it's going to die with a whimper, um, Rob, not with a bang. And I think one of the big co- you know questions for the for the media companies too is going to be the the price of advertising. You know, can they keep that price somewhat close to where it is on broadcast? Everything else in that ecosystem is pennies on the dollar, but football might be the exception to this and might allow, you know, the NFL to continue reaping that $100 billion a year um, rights contract every year. But I do think it's a risk, and I want to talk about this too. I think it's a risk because 
let's face it, you and I are a little fascinated by this, but I think for the consumer, it's kind of a mess. I mean, it's basically, where can I find the game? It used to be uh, NFC was on CBS, AFC was on NBC, uh, Monday Night Football was on ABC, and then Fox came in, and then there was a a Sunday night game uh, on ESPN, and that was it. That That was all you needed to know when it came to the NFL, and now there's a million different streaming services, and even though everything is migrating towards there, will there eventually be some consolidation coming back just for the ease of use on the consumer side? There, there absolutely has to be, and we've been talking about this for a while. This is why you know, I do think it's, it's a mess for the consumer with more complication, more passwords, more accounts, more remotes. Um, people are going to be chasing football but they're actually going to probably end up allocating entire streaming services at a cost greater than they were paying for cable television. But again, that's where the model breaks down. They're still paying too much for a bunch of channels they don't watch. And that's why I think this evolution is going to continue. Tom Lason, Seattle-based media analyst. Find him on Twitter or X at Tom Lason. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, a change could be coming to Chicago-based Wilson Sporting Goods. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Amer Sports, parent company of Wilson Sporting Goods, our neighbor in Prudential Plaza, is expected to file its initial public offering by the early part of next year. Let's learn more from Vinnissy Chan, deals reporter for Bloomberg, based in London. Thank you for joining us today. What uh, What is driving this desire to Hi. go public? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so basically, the company was acquired by the Chinese group back in the, the 2019. So the Chinese group, um, like Entersport, Tencent, and Fountain Fest, the private equity um, like company in that uh, consortium, they've been trying to recoup some cash from the acquisition like back in those days. So that's why they're looking for an IPO, like just to recoup some cash from that. And obviously, like U.S. is a natural venue, um, a natural choice for them because you know for the dep- uh, for the for the deeper like, liquidity the U.S. market has, and also like U.S. Uh, house other uh, rifles and competitors of. Uh, of, of the company, like other sports brands such as VF Corp, and you have Nike, and also Lululemon, and um, like Under Armour. So for these companies, they are like very naturally, they would choose U.S. as a venue for IPO. And then where does Wilson fit hmm. inside the greater sporting goods, activewear, workout space? Because you've hmm. had a lot of different activity when it comes to Peloton, right. and then you have uh, right. uh, some consolidation underway. You have some yeah. uh, market evolution. Uh, where does Wilson fit in all of this? Well, obviously, you know, Wilson, like the tennis racket maker, like is a very household name. Everybody like it. watching tennis, they would know, oh, the Wilson Rackets, right? So it's a household name. Like I think a lot of people can associate that as like a very uh, like reputable sports brand. And I think that would that would do very well, like in terms of, you know, all the other um, sports brands and then like its competitor in the US. Like people recognize the brand. That is like a very important thing. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very recognizable name and a very recognizable logo. They're targeting an IPO yeah. of uh, more than a billion dollars and could end yeah. up seeking up to $3 billion depending on market yes, conditions. that's right. Now that you have to mm-hmm. please Wall Street, uh, does this mm. have the potential to fundamentally change their business? 
Well, I think like with more money um, on hand, apart from like just um, the the Chinese group getting some cash, um, they would use the money to expand. Um, maybe like uh, in terms of the the um, the stores, um, and they may even um, extend their footprints. Like maybe they expand uh, further in I don't know, like in Australia or in Asia or um, like other parts of the world. I mean, it is essentially like at the very beginning, it's a company that was um, headquartered and based in Finland. I mean. To your surprise, but it has like all these very noticeable and recognizable brands. It has like 12 brands, and yeah. So I think an IPO would definitely help with um, the marketing and publicity with a company as well. Vadisi Chan, deals reporter mm-hmm. with Bloomberg in London, England. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the new NFL season opens tomorrow evening under the expectation of record-setting betting. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Wagering will hit record highs during the NFL season that gets underway tomorrow night with a game between the Chiefs and Lions in Kansas City. Let's take a look at betting and the NFL with Dave Foreman, Vice President of Research with the American Gaming Association based in Washington. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us today. 73 million Americans plan to bet on the NFL this season. That is a 60% increase from last year. Where is the ceiling, Dave, when it comes to betting on football? Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, yeah, I think like you mentioned, you know, the spread of legal sports betting uh, has really transformed consumer entertainment. Uh, it's transformed the sports industry, and it's generated a lot of tax uh, benefits for states nationwide. And, um, you know, again, a record number of Americans are going to bet on the NFL this season. Uh, almost one in one in five are going to bet, like, place what we call a traditional bet. That's a, a bet with a bookie or a legal casino sports book, whether uh, at a casino or online. Uh, again, a record number. And I don't think we are at the, at the limit yet. There's still uh, a lot of states that have yet to legalize uh, sports betting. More than 10 states have yet to legalize sports betting, uh, including a couple of big ones in California uh, and Texas. So uh, I think the industry's grown a tremendous amount over the past few years. And uh, I think we're going to keep going and keep building on that momentum over the next few years. Now, even though uh, legal sports betting is a fairly recent phenomenon, uh, the marriage of gambling and the NFL is one that's been around uh, at least uh, a common law marriage, I guess you want to call it, Dave, for decades. I mean, going back to the days of uh, Jimmy the Greek and Pete Axthelm uh, talking about uh, betting lines and odds on the uh, on the NFL today, forty or fifty years ago. So uh, this this is uh, the 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 relationship between the NFL and sports betting uh, goes back a ways. Yeah, well, you know, the, the relationship between fans and sports betting goes back quite a long time. You know, I think the NFL and other leagues uh, were sort of, uh, for a long time, opposed to legal sports betting. Uh, but in the past few years, as it's uh, as it was uh, legalized across the country, I think leagues, uh, teams, um, you know, media companies out there have have seen the benefits that legalized sports betting brings, not just to the gaming industry, uh, but to their industries. As players uh, bet on the games, they become uh, more engaged. They consume more media around the games. Uh, and they watch the games longer. So um, it's really a win-win for, for the gaming industry, uh, for consumers, uh, and for the sports and media teams, uh, as well as state and local governments, which share in a lot of the tax revenue that comes from it. Talking to Dave Foreman at the American Gaming Association in Washington, what is it about the game of football that makes it so attractive from a gaming perspective? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, football uh, in general, and the NFL specifically, is the most bet upon uh, sport uh, in the country. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that makes it attractive is that there's a lot of kind of discrete things you can bet on uh, within the game, number one, right? You can bet on the total. You can bet on total number of points scored. You can bet on the spread. You can bet on um, the outright winner. Uh, but I think the other thing that makes the NFL kind of uniquely um, attractive to bettors is that there's not that many games, right? There's a, a limited slate of games every weekend, so you're kind of concentrating your attention um in terms of both, you know, consumption of the sport and you're betting on it kind of on a on a pretty limited number of outlets every weekend. I think that drives a lot of the interest. Dave Foreman, Vice President of Research with the American Gaming Association in Washington. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, keeping the family in the financial loop. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Nancy Hardy. The Inspector General for Chicago Public Schools has found more COVID relief fraud, this time among a top administrator and others in positions of trust. A huge heat dome is bringing misery to large sections of the country. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, avoiding problems by making sure that personal and family finances aren't too secretive. Also on the the financial front getting the most out of a balanced transfer credit card. WBBM business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 275 points. The NASDAQ is down 184. The S&P 500 is down 44. We have 78 degrees right now at O'Hare under partly sunny skies. Rather breezy too. Southwest wind 14 miles an hour gusting to 26. High today of 86. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. A high-ranking administrator is a among a dozen Chicago Public Schools employees who quit or were fired after the district's inspector general found they committed COVID-related relief fraud. The details from WBM's Nancy Hardy. 14 CPS employees, most earning more than $100,000, lied on applications for PPP loans. That's according to the latest investigation by CPS Inspector General Will Fletcher. He found a regional superintendent created a fake business and then used relief money to go to Vegas and buy luxury goods. A former central office administrator inflated her income for a side business that she had never reported to CPS. The Sun-Times has identified her as Crystal Cooper, the head of school operations. Fletcher recommends the district require prospective employees disclose if they've received any pandemic relief funds going forward. Nancy Hardy, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. A heat wave smothering much of the country is creating dangerous conditions and causing schools and businesses that don't have air conditioning to close. The details from CBS News correspondent Christina Ruffini. In Detroit, Jamia Bray and Javon Adams had to scramble their schedules to pick up their kids after schools closed early for the day. Knowing that they don't have any AC, from what I heard, is just terrible to have the kids in those kind of conditions. 
Detroit is just one of several hot spots across the Midwest and Northeast, shutting down schools or ringing the bell early due to unseasonably hot weather. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager, macrotides.com, based in San Diego. Jim, thank you for joining us today. And this seems like a good news is bad news situation for the markets, especially when it comes to uh, continued expansion in the services sector. You're 100% right, uh, Rob, in the sense that uh, any signs of strength in the economy or additional strength, um, you know, the market is going to look at that as meaning, wait a second, the Federal Reserve may indeed hike rates more. More importantly, in the very near term, the Treasury bond market has hiked uh, interest rates. We've seen big increases over the well, really since the employment report came out Friday morning, in the 10 and 30-year Treasury yield, which starts to put downward pressure on uh, market valuation. So that's what's going on, and I think that's why the market is down today. Now, what are the you know, the, the specific risks that uh, investors and traders are worried about? Is it that the Fed will continue hiking rates, or that they're going to keep them higher for longer? Uh, combination. In the very short term, the risk is that the Fed will raise rates, uh, maybe not so much at the September meeting, more so at the November 1st meeting. Um, and then the fact that the Fed is going to keep rates higher, uh, I think, should be under well understood at this point in time, uh, Rob. In Powell's Jackson Hole speech uh, from 2022, he said the Fed would need to see an extended period where GDP growth grew less than 2% and that we'd see slack develop in the labor market. And that's why the Fed has penciled in and increasing the unemployment rate up to 4.5% for next year. So obviously, neither of those conditions are being met. And what that means to me, at least, is the Fed is going to continue wherever rates end up at. They're going to hold them for an extended period of time until we see those conditions develop. We're talking to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with MacroTides.com based in San Diego. This belief that the Fed is going to cut interest rates sooner rather than later, which uh, might have underpinned a great deal of thinking about uh, about you know, individual trading decisions, just seems baffling to me because you don't even have to listen to Jay Powell's speech in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. You can just listen to the noon business hour and insights from guys like you saying that, uh, that, that the Fed would is going to hold higher for longer. Yeah. Like This shouldn't be a surprise to very many people. It really shouldn't be. But again, what we've seen consistently, Rob, over the last 18 months is Wall Street has pressed the case that the Fed wouldn't raise rates as much or would, as you noted, pivot and bring rates down. The Fed has a longer-term perspective. You know, they're looking out three years plus, and they want to see enough slack develop in the economy so that during the beginning of the next expansion, we don't see inflation come back. That's why the Fed is looking for an extended period of GDP growth below 2% and the unemployment rate above 4%. I don't think the Fed is going to ease until they see those conditions develop. So what is driving growth right now? I mean, the uh, all the COVID stimulus and relief uh, seems to have rolled off the books. Uh, Americans are clearly running up the uh, credit card debt once again, so those reserves are gone. Is this simply a function of people just being more confident in their employment situation and they managed to uh, get a raise or two along the way and that's what's pushing the economy forward? Yeah, it is. You, the unemployment rate is still near a 50-year low. Wage growth is between 45 and 5%. Uh, so if people have the wherewithal to continue spending. Now, my take personally 
is we're going to see things flow materially between now and year end. And I think the, the market be kind of a, get a whipsaw action with, oh, my gosh, growth is too strong. Rates go up a little bit to the, then see as we get into early next year. Oh, my goodness. Growth is slowing much more than we anticipated. So I think volatility is going to be pretty high over the next six months. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager, macrotides.com, based in San Diego. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, ways to ensure a smooth financial transition when life-changing events take place. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and in this segment, we're discussing ways to spare surviving families and partners from financial tie-ups and issues. Issues. We welcome in Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. Find him online, engagewealthgroup.com. Ed, thank you for joining us today. It's kind of a morbid subject to tackle, but at the same time, uh, how many times have you heard or have I heard stories about uh, you have a, a spouse passes away and it turns out that spouse knew was handling all the family's finances. And so now the surviving spouse has to find the past words to accounts, the bill pay schedule, and uh, try to recreate what the other partner knew. It's a great point, Rob. Talking about disability and death is not an easy topic, but it is one of the most important topics that couples and individuals can address. Because as you mentioned, right, when something happens, and especially if it happens suddenly, then we would rather have families focusing on the the family member and the person in terms of their support rather than worrying about where the passwords are located. So it sounds like this is a conversation that uh, a couple has to have, uh, just kind of inventory everything, really think about uh, what you need and what you utilize to pay bills, where the retirement accounts are, and just getting them all in one centralized location and then hope you never have to use them. Yeah, getting clients financially structured and organized is one of the most important benefits we provide our clients. And you have to remember, it is okay right, to share responsibilities where one spouse or one partner is doing one thing and the other. But to your point, which is very critical, having this common goal, this common theme of communication in what we call in case of emergency file is so important that if something does happen, whether it is expected or unexpected, again, you're focusing on what's important in terms of the support and not, you know, the running around in terms of trying to handle all the other financial matters. We're talking to Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group in Chicago. When you sit down to have that conversation, what are some of the basics uh, you should put on that list first? Yeah, first things first are who is your point of contact, right? Who are your trusted contacts? Who are your estate planning attorneys? Who are the folks you need to lean on, family members and the such? Because as you can go through this on your own, it's always important to get professional guidance. Number two is you want to list out and have an organizational structure of where these accounts are. And so all of these items that we're talking about on that on that uh, document, Rob, should not be in a password-protected computer, but literally an old-fashioned piece of paper in a file where people know how to access them. Because, again, going through that structure and listing out all the different assets and account numbers and things like that is very helpful, especially if the family member responsible for that, they're the one that becomes incapacitated or passes away. And, of course, uh, the conversation usually centers around retirement accounts, uh, bank accounts, accounts, things like that. But uh, that list should also include, you know, the, the bills you pay and how you pay them. 
Yeah, and most people, as you know, are doing things online. So all of those password protected lists, right? Here's the here's the login, here's the password. And again, trying to keep this updated can be kind of a challenge given what most of us are are, are fraught with in terms of changing passwords. But again, all the different elements that you touch financially should be organized or have a password organizer. Again, we're trying to make it as easy as possible that in case something, again, expected or unexpected happens, that we're not scrambling around trying to figure out how things work. Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group in Chicago. Find him online at engagewealthgroup.com. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, the do's and and don'ts of balance transfer credit cards. It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Growing credit card balances are causing some people to seek out balance transfer credit cards. Let's look at the pluses and minuses with Ted Rossman, industry analyst with creditcards.com based in New York. Ted, thank you for joining us today. And, and one through line, Ted, uh, through all of our conversations about how you can uh, take some of the bite out of interest rate hikes, especially if you are carrying a credit card balance is to try to uh, move your balance over to a, a zero interest rate card, but there are some pitfalls involved. Yes, I think it's a great strategy. There are a few things to be aware of. The biggest one I would say is that the interest rate goes way up at the end of the term. So while you can get a 0% balance transfer for up to 21 months on cards like the City Simplicity and the Wells Fargo Reflect, there's a good chance by the time the clock runs out, you could be paying 20, 25, even 30%. I've heard that about half of these balances are carried beyond the promotional period. So that can get really expensive. The other thing, which is more of a smaller short-term trade-off, is the transfer fee. They usually hit you up front with a 3 to 5% fee to transfer your balance. I think that can be well worth it as long as you make progress. And then, uh, as I said, the, what are some of these uh, balance transfer fees that, uh, that could make it just simply not worth it? The 3 to 5% fee is not so bad when you think about how much interest you could be saving, hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars, depending on how much you owe and how you use the card. I mean, if you have the average credit card balance, which is around $6,000, and you make minimum payments at the average rate of about 20%, You'll be in debt for close to 18 years, and you'll pay close to $9,000 just in interest. So that minimum payment math is brutal. You know, obviously, we want you to pay it off way sooner. The balance transfer card could impose some kind of discipline there that maybe you try to avoid adding new purchases. You divide what you owe by the number of months in your 0% term. Try to stick to that plan. It really all comes back to how you use it. But I think if you can use the 0% term as a way to make progress, the transfer fee is well worth it. And then what are some of the specific issues of trying to transfer a balance between cards that come from the same issuer? You can't transfer within the same issuer family because that's just kind of a shell game of like moving one city card debt to another city card. They won't let you do that. So it has to be a different company. This is also a marketing incentive. It's a loss leader, really, the idea that they offer 0% for a time. The business strategy is that they bring in these balances, and then they're betting that a good number of them convert into profitable, interest-paying balances over time. So you have to pick a card issuer that 
is not the one that you currently owe. Um, but there are a lot of good options out there, and it can really be a great debt payoff strategy. Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of the Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.